0: Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns, discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go.
1: We weren't subject to the Peter Principle, which is, you're only truly happy until you've reached your level of incompetence. You can, you know, live like that in the in the business world, but not so much in the sporting world because you get hit on the forehead with reality every time you step outside. You know, all of a sudden your easy runs are 7 or 7:30 instead of 6:30 or 7, you know, and your heart rate is the same but you're going 30 or 40 seconds slower.
0: There's some flawed notion out there that we have to do something every day to maintain fitness, or have a certain minimum weekly volume, otherwise you feel guilty and upset that you're, you're falling off. And um, in many
1: cases, it can, you can leverage time off to get better. Like anything else, it seems like the first six or six weeks or three months, it felt really good. And I think when you do these diet changes, which sort of leads me to believe that maybe periodization of your diet is not a bad thing. It seems like whenever I change and try a new diet, the first little bit's exciting and, and you do notice differences and then over time you find out that they're not as great as you thought they were in the beginning and, and you do need more as you as you get depleted in whatever that type of diet is deficient in.
0: Let's talk about ancestral supplements. If you're into ancestral health, primal, paleo, keto, you know the importance of consuming these unique agents contained in bone marrow, in the nose to tail, organ meats, liver, kidney, all that stuff, the great bone broth benefits. Well, how's it going? For me, since years ago when Dr. Kate Shanahan asserted the importance of these wonderful nutritional benefits that you can't get elsewhere, eh, not too good. I don't know how to cook a liver or a kidney, but now your problems are solved forever when you go to ancestralsupplements.com, a wonderful company filled with people who are living the dream, walking their talk, and bottling up the purest, cleanest sources of grass-fed organ meats, kidney, liver, bone marrow, all in these wonderful capsules. I dump them in my smoothie every day. I'm healthy. I don't have to worry. It's an incredible dietary boost. And this is so different from swallowing a bunch of those synthetic vitamins and those giant bottles from the big box stores. Highly questionable health practice. This stuff is the real deal. Grass-fed organ meats, pure as can be. Ancestralsupplements.com Hey listeners, I am back with the Mac Attack. That was his nickname when he raced on the pro circuit. It's my main man, Andrew McNaughton. You heard him on one of the early shows on the Get Over Yourself podcast. It's been a long time since we connected and I had a nice sit-down, wide-ranging chit-chat on all manner of health, fitness, and peak performance topics. So this is kind of a fasten your seatbelt, wild ride show because we We have an assortment of quick segues and going off on tangents, and about half of it is really basic, easy to understand, and easy to follow. And as the feedback we received from his girl Julie listening in the next room, she said, yeah, and then the other half was getting into some complexity and some... I guess, fitness training terminology that she didn't fully understand. She said we should have stopped and made some definitions, but the conversation was moving too quickly. So if you're deep into the peak performance scene, you'll dig all our discussions of the complexity of HRV, heart rate variability, and so forth. And if not, you can let that stuff flow over you because the hot points that we hit, I think, are really valuable and give you some good food for thought. Oh man, so we started out with Andrew's proclamation that health and fitness don't intersect very well. Oh boy, yes, the eye-opener of all times that all these burning calories and heading to the gym and doing these strenuous workouts or getting out on the road and putting in your mileage doesn't really promote your health. Dang, that's a tough one to swallow. What a crazy notion, but it's true. And it needs to be much more respected than it is even today when we have all this science and momentum and folks like Dr. Phil Maffetone stating this premise for 30 years that health and fitness are different and we still don't have a basic uh, acceptance of this position. Instead, we're thinking that the key to being healthy is to go out and sweat and burn calories indiscriminately. And now we're seeing the fallout finally Uh, There's an epidemic rate of uh, heart problems among serious athletes. There's been numerous uh, prominent articles, discussions about this. Dr. James O'Keefe's TED Talk uh, references some of that. You can Google articles like One Foot in the Grave, Running on Empty, uh, these were in prominent publications like the Wall Street Journal and Outside Magazine chronicling, uh, this tragic pattern of pictures of fitness, the, the six pack laden, prominent, long term, highly competitive endurance athletes dropping left and right, uh, blowing out their hearts due to overstress patterns of repeatedly hitting it hard for years and decades out on the road or even in the gym. So we have to respect this concept that health and fitness are two different things and do more things that protect your health and still can promote fitness if you do it properly. Uh, but Andrew makes some pretty bold statements that might offend the hardcore endurance enthusiasts, saying that uh, per- participating in a long-distance triathlon is in no way healthy. We talk about the diet experimentation that Andrew's engaged in in recent years and this guy is pretty hardcore and precise and devoted so the data that he comes up with for example his experiment with keto uh, was very disciplined for 18 months and he has some interesting insights about that. Uh, We talk about scientific studies and being wary of study conclusions even on the most respected and uh, methodically carried out studies I'm still calling BS in a lot of ways because uh, the individual differences with the study subjects relating to your particulars. So we get into that topic of kind of uh, maintaining healthy skepticism and also uh, being open and constantly challenging uh, the propensity that we all have to form fixed and rigid beliefs about things. And the carnivore diet was an example that we discussed where... The basic premise that you don't need to eat uh, plant life, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, they do not even need to be consumed, uh, pretty much challenges the foundational elements of healthy eating that we all share and have shared for decades. So uh, that was interesting. And we come at you hard with a big finish where we both get riled up and offer a very emphatic recommendation to choose out of these disastrous cultural patterns that are putting us in complacency and the widespread adoption of lazy, unhealthy lifetime habits, the sacrifice that you're making, uh, which is to endure uh, almost certain pain and suffering if you're unwilling to change your habits so we give you a big time pep talk at the end to turn things around clean up your act make some healthy choices and lock those into habit and Andrew's great uh, disposition that uh, nothing is a sacrifice for him everything is a choice so all the healthy things that he does are entirely because he wants to do them rather than he has to do them. Andrew McNaughton from his top secret training enclave in southern california great to catch up as always enjoy the show
1: welcome to the brad kearns podcast i'm filling in today and i'll be interviewing brad my name is none of your, your business hey uh, great to be here thanks for having me
0: andrew mcnaughton uh frequent favored guest on many podcasts uh you've been through the we, we've been through it all and so today Uh, Instead of a detailed outline and exciting topics to discuss, I think we're just going to let it flow. We've been talking off off camera, off mic, warming up.
1: Free flow. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you're uh, on this incredible health enthusiast path. You've investigated so many things. And um, I guess uh, diet would be a good uh, conversation point to talk about because there's all kinds of wild and crazy things floating around. We've talked about carnivore a little bit and tried it out. so. Um, let's maybe go through the last, uh, decade or so. And -hmm. some of the fun things that you've, uh, dabbled in, experimented in what's worked. What's, Mm -hmm. what are you skeptical about when we have all these, uh, promoters out here, uh, touting this and that same with supplements. We can just segue into all that. We're going to load you up, man.
1: Okay. So first thing that comes to my head when we talk about this, I was talking to my doctor for my annual physical on Monday and. We were talking about health and fitness and how they basically don't really intersect much, you know. And 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 I (laughs) could you explain that, please? I I, I mean, listeners,
0: if that one passed by you, mm -hmm. health and fitness don't really intersect much.
1: Yeah. So basically, I I characterize health with uh, diet and sleep, and fitness is fitness, and maybe. There's an argument that a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of fitness will make you healthier, but in general, I look at them as you can choose one or the other. And if I were to go back and train myself, um, I would have most of the year where I chose health over fitness, and then as I was getting ready for a big race, I would do uh, more strenuous exercises and maybe compromise my fitness, a li- my health, health a little bit for for greater fitness for a very finite amount of time, maybe three, maybe as much as six weeks, and then I would get back focusing on health and um, probably have more longevity instead of a nine-year career like I had. um, Maybe it would have been longer, and maybe I'd even be healthier now had I done it that way. I think that because my career was only nine years, I'm healthier than a lot of people who did 15, 16 I know. We thought
0: it was long at the time. Wait a second. My career was nine years, and I thought you retired a year before me because you were the smarter more intelligent person you were sitting on the couch in lake tahoe and i i popped up in the morning and said hey which which trail are we going to run today and you're like i'm not feeling it dude i'm like what are you talking about and, uh, that was your out of, you were, you were gone in, um, late 93. Yeah. I think, you, yeah. You, you only lasted though. One till, more year.
1: Till mid 94. Right. Think and so you, you, yeah. you didn't make it a whole other year. I,
0: I finished the season out right, in yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. I,
1: I was a bad influence on you and our friend Terry. Cause, uh, I. Terry Smith
0: Ross from Canada. Yeah. Smith Ross McAllister.
1: Yeah. Second in the world's once or twice and third at Nice and uh, brilliant athlete and a good egg all around. Um, but yeah, I think I had a bad influence on her because I think that when I quit, she's like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. I'm going to quit too.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about that a little bit because it is an interesting, uh, time in life for an, an athlete. And I think it's, um, a story that's relatable to everyone because we, we face these, um, transition periods in life. And I remember having, uh, a lot of difficulty just admitting to myself. I mean, I knew I was done, and it's so great to be an athlete because everything's so graphic. You're not like in a corporate setting where you got passed over for a couple of promotions, but you can still talk a good game, or you you get the promotion even though you're you're not qualified, and it's it's very uh, vague. But in our case, like even in workouts, you know, we'd we'd go up uh, to the, uh, the the track mm-hmm. and see if we could hit our intervals that we did two years prior when we were crossing the tape and it wasn't there. And so you start to get this sensation that, oh, maybe, you know, maybe my best days are behind me. And that, uh, that, that's kind of uh, awakenings that you have to reckon with. And it's, it can be difficult.
1: We weren't subject to the Peter principle, which is you, you're only truly happy until you've reached your level of incompetence where you can reach you can you know live like that in the in the business world but not so much in the sporting world because you get hit on the forehead with reality every time you step outside you know all of a sudden your easy runs are 7 or 7:30 instead of 6 or 6 or 6:30 or 7 you know and your heart rate's the same but you're going 30 or 40 seconds slower i know my heart rate's the same now at about 8:45 to 9:15 as it was, you know, 25 or 30 years ago when i was running 7 or 7:15. Yeah. Uh your
0: heart your your percentage of max or no, your your
1: heart rate. So i was still keeping it under 125 when i was 25. Oh, sure, right. Your yeah. your pace was yeah. so much faster. faster. Got yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So right yeah. now we're bumping up against aerobic maximum gotcha. heart rate running 9-minute miles yeah. and um, you know, before it was 6-minute miles, but that was a yeah. that was a higher heart rate cuz we had less age, so any way you slice it, it's, um, yeah, I, d- I don't know if it's, it's entirely, um, the, the, the age was not really a factor between the ages of 20 and 30 when we were racing. Mm-hmm. So what do you think that was where you, you had a shortened career and you maybe could have lasted longer if you'd made some different decisions?
1: Um, I think that, uh, I probably didn't rest enough throughout the year you know, uh, working with Simon, um, and Whitfield and, and talking yeah. with him in the years after and the, and what he learned, you know, after working with me and beyond me, um, and taught me, uh, was that he didn't like to be out of shape. So he never took big time. I used to take, you know, four to six weeks off at the end of the year. Cause I thought that was necessary, but what he did was he would take, you know, 10 days off, three or four or five times throughout the year, you end up with more time off, but you don't really lose your fitness because taking a week or 10 days off, you don't really lose that much. So you don't have to ever do that full on six or eight weeks of buildup again. So he would basically just take some time off and then he would be almost exactly where he was except super fresh. Right. Yeah. And he didn't like being out of shape. So he really liked that system. I needed a mental break, but that's probably because I did too much anyway. And if I'd had more breaks, I wouldn't have been, right. uh, you know, a burnout. So. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, so if you if you had a chance to uh, dispense advice to a recreational athlete, seems like it would fit right in. Also, I mean, take these frequent breaks, especially when life gets busy mm-hmm. and you can still maintain your membership card in the, yeah. uh, the, the 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 swim program or the the multi-sport racing schedule or whatever the, the ultra calendar uh, but yeah, there's some flawed notion out there that, um, we have to do something every day to maintain fitness or have a certain, mm-hmm. uh, minimum weekly volume. Otherwise you feel guilty and, uh, upset that you're, you're falling off. And, um, in many cases it can, you you can leverage time off to get better.
1: Ex- exactly. I bumped into someone at the swimming pool the other day and I'd just taken almost two and a half years off swimming and I just started up and I bumped into a guy. He was like... <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of work and a lot of travel and I missed a couple of weeks and now I'm basically starting from scratch again. And I didn't really encourage the conversation, but in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, it's probably good two weeks, you you know, you, two or three workouts, you're back exactly where you were, however you're rested. But maybe not with all the work travel because you're tired sort of in a different way. But um, I think physically, yeah, taking a week off every now and then, you don't really lose much, but you recharge and you get back on it. And the idea that you know, a lot of the coaches do, a, co- a lot of the coaches say, especially in the amateur ranks is they really want you to get consistency. And that's, you know, hugely important as we know. Um, but also breaks are too, you know, I mean, the simple equation is is stress and rest. Don't forget the second half, right? For improvement, you need to do the rest and you need to rest your brain too and, and sleep in, you know, especially for swimmers who swim at 530 in the morning. I mean, taking a week off, you know, every six weeks or eight weeks, um, is only going to make it more fun because you won't be so dragged out and tired all the time, you know, catch up on your sleep. Sleep is underrated, especially as you get older, it's harder and harder to sleep. You know, when I was in my twenties, I would sit down and I had an awesome nap for however long I needed. And, you know, at nine 30 at night, I would just be conked. And then I would wake up at six 30 or seven. And there was I didn't move. I literally I would lie down on the bed and I would wake up in the exact same position, you know, now I'm fiddling and fussing all night long and I turn over and I get up and I go to the bathroom and, you know, maybe I can get three or four more hours before I do that again. It's, you know, oh, to be 25 again. Right.
0: and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, mito redlight.com and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Well, you think that's entirely related to aging or was it the training volume that left you so exhausted that you could sleep so well?
1: Uh, uh... Or pleasantly
0: exhausted. I shouldn't say if you overtrain, we know that you're going to have disturbed sleep Mm -hmm. and you're going to have the overproduction of stress hormones that's going to get you up. And in fact, that getting up to pee is now uh, known to be a bad sign. That was kind of a slap in the face to me. Phil Maffetone told me that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other people have now stated that if you got to get up and pee in the middle of the night, you, you should be like your dog. Your dog can hold it all night. So can humans. Yeah. And it's not really because your bladder's full. It's because that uh, sensation is overactive adrenal glands. Latin mm-hmm. Latin term adrenal means next to renal, next to the kidney. Mm-hmm. So if your adrenals are going, uh, another symptom is grinding your teeth mm-hmm. and having to pee in the middle of the night. So
1: Well, one of the things your kidneys do when you're sleeping is they change the... Um, uh, the way they filter your urine and it's much richer at night. So you can theoretically go for many more hours at the night. And when you wake up in the morning, it should be much darker urine than it would be throughout the day. Um, so if your adrenals are stressed, then, uh, it's not, it's less likely to switch to your nighttime sort of sleeping mode of filtration. And so that's one of the, one of the reasons if your adrenals aren't shutting you down and your kidneys don't know it's nighttime.
0: So you're getting up to do this brief, uh, right. minimal voiding. Mm-hmm. Unlike what ideally would be first thing in the morning, where you did, did a lot of work and you're you you're get up and ready to go. Yeah. So you're, well, it's, you're a, it,
1: it's it's not minimal voiding because my kidneys aren't making the rich urine because they're not functioning as if it's night. They think that it's just keep going that I'm just continuing to go right go, go, go. So, so yeah, it's still, it's still clear or, 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 or very light. It's not the darker, richer stuff that you would get normally in the morning. Yeah.
0: So you're reporting this as a problem now, even though you're not training hard,
1: definitely not training. What's your,
0: what's your deal, man?
1: I'm fiddling with it. What are the tips and tricks? I I tell you what, if I, if, and when I figure it out, um, I will definitely pass it on, but life is, is, uh, you training session trying to figure things out as you go and when i think i've got it figured i i you know tell people what i've been doing and quite often you know a year later i say you know what i i've got better information now <laughs> or, or or maybe a slightly different or maybe more people to pull the information from you know there's some things we we're talking about earlier we we're talking about uh, diet and stuff and um i really believe diet is dependent to body type more so than anything else. I think there are several diets that are good. Um, I think that uh, I've tried keto and it doesn't really work for me. Um, But I have a friend who is completely different body type and he thrives on the keto and he's a doctor. Um, and, um, And in our conversations, we've come to the conclusion and it's a very small sample size. So it's still sort of in the hypothesizing phase but, um, you feel that body type, um, is, uh, important to the diet that you choose. And I think the more, the people who are tall and thin, the ectomorphs are less likely to function that well on, on, uh, the high fat diets and much more, more lean more towards a paleo diet and the endomorphs and mesomorphs are going to be functioning better. The, 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 the individuals who are capable of building muscle and getting heavy where ectomarts really aren't, they're the ones that are going to function better on the higher fat diets, which Hmm. is, which is an interesting hypothesis. And uh, we're sort of testing it out using ourselves as, as lab rats, Guinea pigs, what you say. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess there's advanced genetic testing now where they're trying to zero in on this as well um, with Perhaps mixed reviews or mixed results, but they're trying to, you know, pinpoint.
1: Well, it's hard to do something in two weeks, right? It's it's one of these things that we can come back in ten years when there's enough data to know better, right? Because it's not something that two individuals can figure out on their own in a in a short period of time. You have to do it with lots of people over a long period of time. So it's it's not it's not a it's not going to be a short term answer.
0: Uh, however, the the ability to Um, test and refine and assess how certain foods make you feel in certain meals, I think everybody can make a lot of progress there, especially like Maffetone's two-week test that he's been communicating for over 30 years now, where if you eliminate all these um, high glycemic carbohydrates for a couple of weeks and see see how you feel, most people have this incredible awakening of health and lose a bunch of weight. Same with anybody who's transitioning from one thing to another.
1: I think definitely if you cut out crap, you will notice right. a huge difference. So yeah. that was my next thought: was like, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, you're these hearing so much about are, the
0: variation; yeah. it's individual, but yeah. we yeah. have so many common. Yeah. We got to come to the common ground." Yeah, yeah. So first yeah. of
1: all, you have to realize that that I am very disciplined, and 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 when I do these diets, I, I really pigeonhole myself, and I do it very strictly, and um, I don't feel like that I'm that I'm missing out on anything because. The curiosity is, is really what drives me on how this diet will affect me over time. So, um, there's no sense of me missing out on, you know, chocolate souffle or something because I don't really care. This is what I'm, I'm trying to find out what makes me feel the best. Right. Um, but, uh, I also, I also know that it's going to take more time than, than, you know, a couple of months to do these things. So, um, I'm, and the other thing is, is that I've already done all these simple things. Like there is no, uh, any, there's nothing that I eat that has added sugar. There's nothing that's processed. There's nothing that, that, and I've been doing that for 30 years. So, um, I'm already extremely strict about my baseline. And so when I do change these things, it's, it's, it's not as dramatic as it might be for someone else, you know? So like, like when I, when I switch to a keto diet, they say it needs, you know, do it gently, do it, do it, you know, cause otherwise you'll get dizzy and stuff. No, I just started one day and I tried keto and there was no dizziness. There was nothing. My body was already capable and it just, you know, I just did it for 18 months to see what it was like, you know? And the answer was at first I noticed the difference and then gradually over time, I felt like I didn't have the same consistent energy as I, as I once did. So I slowly went back more towards paleo and then my energy sort of came back. So, um, again, I'm one person, you know, and I'm not a study and it's a, over a two year, two and a half year period. So it's not a huge amount of time and there are, you know, 25 or 2,500 other variables involved. Right. Um, uh, so anyway, that's where I am. Well, that's,
0: that's a huge amount of time. Cause I think most people, make an assessment after six weeks Mm. or or whatever and um maybe engage Mm. in black and white thinking where it's it's an all or nothing and so i I tried keto and then i kicked Mm. it to the curb rather than uh, massaging and uh, nuancing it and Mm. also giving it that you know prolonged duration without those departures where you oh except for your your eight-day cruise where you were slamming uh, vanilla custards three times a day that kind of interferes with the uh, the data yeah. collection yeah. of what keto is really doing. Also interesting that you went for that long and had sort of this gradual observation that your energy maybe wasn't optimal. And that's possibly something to think about when you have this fervent uh, community of, let's say, whole food plant-based people where they cut out meat and they feel wonderful and fantastic and so clean and they're so much better for the environment. And then we got to sit back and go, okay, well... How long does it take to get mm-hmm. <laughs> nutrient depleted mm-hmm. from lack of vitamin A, vitamin K, uh, the things that you're wholeheartedly eliminating from the diet for the first time in the history of humanity? By the way,
1: so my my observation with um, vegetarianism is um, that you feel good for somewhere between six weeks and six months, and then eventually, then eventually you wear you wear off. Now, the other thing that my I observe that a good portion of people who are vegetarians are actually carboholics. So they eat lots and lots of rice and breads and pastas and stuff. And I don't think that there's much, um, there's many people that truly believe that grain should be the base of your food pyramid anymore. Right. I think that uh, certainly in our world, um, there's a general consensus, general consensus that grains truly have no nutritional value and, other than pleasure, they serve no purpose, right? So if you truly love bread, then, you know, whatever, right? Or if you truly love pasta, then having it once in a while, whatever. But if that is your your staple and that is the main portion of all your meals, then you could probably make healthier choices, you know? And so I find that that's probably the primary area where vegetarianism goes wrong for me. In in my in my thinking, anyway, mm, it, it, because it,
0: you've excluded uh, these nutrient dense foods, you're forced to uh, choose from a smaller subset. And in that subset are things like grains, yeah. which can provide a lot of calories and a lot of bulk to the diet. Mm-hmm. And boy, I mean, it, it, it seems like you know how much how many mountains of kale would you need to eat just to fuel, especially if you're an athletic type or something like that. Um, the volume of food consumption necessary because you're cutting out mm-hmm. the, the, the high-fat animal mm-hmm. products. That, that, that one's tough. I guess they yeah. can go to high-fat plant products like avocados, mm-hmm. coconut products, mm-hmm. olives, olive oil.
1: Yeah, but you also, if you're eating a lot of these raw vegetables, you're getting the plant's natural protections. Uh, I believe they're called lectins. And I think a small uh, a small amount of those is probably not so bad. But when I was doing the keto diet, and I was eating massive mm. amounts of raw foods, um, every day, you know, <laughs> um, I was having, you know, a, a portion of, uh, uh, of meat and a fatty meat and, you know, coconut oil and avocados and stuff and, and kale and spinach and a variety of other uh, raw vegetables. Um, yeah, over time, like anything else, it seems like the first six or six weeks or three months, it felt really good. And I think when you do these diet changes, um uh, which sort of leads me to believe that maybe periodization of your diet is not a bad thing. It seems like whenever I change and try a new diet, the first little bit's exciting and, and you do notice differences. And then over time, you find out that um, they just they're not as great as you thought they were in the beginning and and you do need more as you as you get depleted in whatever that type of diet is deficient in, right? So, um, uh, Dang,
0: that's okay. pretty heavy, man, because that means you you haven't really landed on the perfect human diet yet. And what about some seasonal variation could be interesting? Dr. Mm-hmm. David Perlmutter says, don't eat any fruit in the winter at all. None, zero. Mm-hmm. Ancestors didn't, didn't do so. Go ahead and eat it in the summer, whatever mm-hmm. you want. And uh, pulling some of those insights in where we're trying to get in alignment with things like the seasons, mm-hmm. but also, geez, covering all the bases, that's where these, these long-term exclusion of high nutritional value food seems like a a losing proposition at some point.
1: Yeah. I I think I, you know, and like I said, I don't really, I don't really know and I haven't done seasonal, um, seasonal diets, but I have read about people who don't eat fruit in the winter. And is, is it maybe because fruit needs more sunlight to be properly metabolized? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Is that the case? It's I
0: think the argument is the, um, circadian rhythms, mm-hmm. the shorter days, the longer nights. Mm-hmm. Um, part of this is associated with being in fat storage mode yeah. hormonally. This mm-hmm. is a great book called Lights Out, Sleep, yeah. Sugar, and Survival, where they talk about, you know, our, our ancestral past was the fruit would ripen mm-hmm. in the narrow ripening season, and we'd gorge our faces with it so we could store body fat and get ready mm-hmm. for the long winter ahead. And so now-
1: We're channeling our inner bear.
0: We're eating fruit year-round, and we're keeping it light for long, prolonged, Mm. artificially lengthened days Mm. year-round because we got our laptop screen open from 5 p.m. in the wintertime here in Northern California, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, North America. That's Uh, very
1: un-American of you. Most people are watching TV for those hours. I I want you to know I'm disappointed. Yeah, any
0: screen, even the the small screen is the worst, and back to that... um, uh, th- th- those first insights we talked about, where you know there's these health hazards now, and I think the the small screen, the digital screen, is a big concern for me. I think it's I think it's horrible, and it's leaving us without the ability to truly rest and recover from anything. So even if you're off training, like the guy in the swimming pool, he's out there traveling on jet airplanes and. Uh, working on a screen till all hours, then we're then we're perpetually in fat storage mode, according to the insights in in the book, and a common insight that, oh boy! And so we're we're eating the sugar in the winter time, the fruit, and we can handle it with much less effectiveness than during the summertime when you're out there exercising and uh, spending more time outdoors mm-hmm. and things yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I think as as more people in the world are uh, become more interested in this there'll be more information and there'll be you know better better information like uh, i i talked to people about doing those genetic tests and i was like that's great that they've got a million people now but it's truly going to be valuable when they have 500 million people you know and uh, so anyone who did it in the first little bit basically there you're going to have to wait 10 years before the information they get has any value because right now they're just sort of guessing there's not enough information, you know? So I know, I know that I did mine and I forget which company I used, but so it seems like every six or nine months I get an update because they've got more information now and it's more accurate, (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Same with the ancestry stuff where That's you, you log in about, and say, yeah. hello, Andrew, you have a brother. <laughs> and you're like, oh, <laughs> click here. <laughs> yeah, he lives in Ottawa. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that Manitoba? I think so. Um, yeah, I'm also getting wary of studies themselves because the headline stories that we're exposed to, there's a study for everything. And I talked to this about with Dr. Tommy Wood, who's up on all this stuff Mm -hmm. and and deep into the science and highly trained and highly educated. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, you can can do a double blind, perfectly organized study and prove that blank uh, is Mm -hmm. your conclusion. And a lot of these studies are funded by special interest and so they're they're pushing it toward Mm -hmm. uh, the desired result like the gatorade sports science institute is one of the highest and most respected uh, exercise performance uh, bodies Mm -hmm. in the world and for the last uh, 50 years we have been told with fantastic scientific validity that the muscle burns carbohydrate. The muscle stores glycogen, it burns it off, and then you have to consume car- carbohydrate to recover from exercise. And the and best so, one yeah, to
1: consume happens to be Gatorade. It's our formulated
0: with the electrolytes. Mm-hmm. It's got electrolytes. That's mm-hmm. from Idiocracy. Uh, however, the, my point I'm making is like the science was excellent. It was rigid, it was precise, it was highly respected by all scientific measure. And the muscle indeed does store glycogen and convert it into glucose and burn it and Dr. Timothy Noakes was the world leader in this field in exercise physiology for so so many years, and you can go on YouTube now and see him uh, theatrically tearing pages out of his book, Lore of Running, which was this 800-page masterpiece of all matters of exercise physiology and, and endurance running training. And what he was doing was realizing that we were stuck in the carbohydrate paradigm for the last 50 years, and now we finally realized that the the athlete can operate Uh, on a fat-based paradigm therefore all the notions and all the fantastic science that was valid can be reconsidered because there's a whole nother portal like we've we've just landed on a different planet where there's more oxygen so we can live life differently and that's kind of that that's a grand example Mm -hmm. but i think uh these little studies that come out every week where my mom sends me the clip like did you see this red meat is now cancer so what about your carnivore thing and oh mercy it's um there was, it's there tough was... to wade through unless you're knee deep into this stuff all day long and then when you're knee deep into this stuff all day long that's when you're really stupid that's my conclusion about myself
1: <laughs> yeah little knowledge is bad a lot of knowledge is worse yeah
0: yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's it's hard to know what to think and mm-hmm. a good example maybe we can get into this a little bit because I know you dabbled here too, but this is two thousand nineteen when I was first really slapped in the face with this premise about the nose to tail carnivore eating pattern. Dr. Paul Saladino made so much sense on these podcasts, mm-hmm. arguing against the consumption of the plant life mm-hmm. that's universally regarded as the centerpiece of a healthy diet. Same with Dr. Sean Baker and the other mm-hmm. leading proponents of it. And I couldn't get it out of my head, so I had to go try it and experiment with it. But it was a good exercise in challenging my own fixed rigid beliefs and critical thinking processes because I'm walking through life going, you've already heard me on this podcast saying, all you know, these plant-based people, how stupid! They've never, we've never done that in the history of humanity." I didn't really say how stupid. I'm saying that um, they're restricting a lot of these nutrient-dense foods. It must be wrong. And then uh, you you get faced with here in modern times this this year saying, "Oh, maybe you should rethink the idea that vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds form the foundation of a healthy diet." So. There's nothing else left sacred, in my opinion. Like, we have to continue to be on this quest and be open minded. And I think part of that is to, you know, look a study in the face and go, eh, all right, you know, maybe not the end all. Same with all the training studies, because commonly they will take an untrained group of subjects. 27 healthy college age males got on an exercise bike and hammered their brains out for 30 minutes a day while the other group just went and pedaled slowly for uh, three hours and then and the, the fast guys got better in six weeks yeah, yeah? okay, okay. Let, let's talk to them in a year when they're all sick and injured that kind yeah. of thing
1: yeah exactly there's those high intensity things work uh, short term uh quickly but if you want uh, longevity and you want uh, what I would call deep fitness, then you have to, you know, do the do the the slow, easy, at moderate, consistent stuff over a long, long period of time. Yeah. So, so if, here, if you so don't let, have, yeah. let, let, let me say this: if I was coaching someone <laughs> and they wanted to do a race, let's say a half marathon, because that's a reasonable distance, okay? And I had um, six weeks to get them in shape. What would I do relative to If I had, if I had, you know, 24 months to get them in shape, how would the training differ? Right now for me, probably not that much because I'm a believer in you should only do what you can, what you can do. And you just show up on race day as healthy and fit as you possibly can be in that moment. Uh, But most people, most coaches would say, Oh, we've only got six weeks. Let's get you out there blasting, get your heart rate up and get your body used to the pounding and stuff like that. Um, uh and and it's very possible that their system would give better results in that really short period of time right but i always come from a health perspective and i'm like i want that person in 6 weeks to come back to me and saying i love this um i had a good experience um let's keep doing it and we'll see what i can do at the same race next year right and that's sort of the way i look because i I love these endurance sports and granted, they're not really healthy. You know,
0: (laughs) this show is sponsored by the Ironman racing circuit. You too can sign up 2.4, 112, and 26. (laughs) Put them all together and you're an Ironman. Yeah.
1: So it's not healthy. It's no, it's not remotely healthy. Um, But if
0: it's it's fun for you, can it be possibly healthy? It can. Is there a way if I said, Andrew, my dying wish is to do an Ironman. Well, can you help me do it in a healthy way?
1: Well, if, if if it's your dying wish and you're planning on dying anyway, then what difference? Go does it for make? it! Yeah, Let's try to help. break.
0: Try to break nine. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, the answer is no. I I don't believe you can do it in a healthy manner. I think you can do it in a healthier manner than a lot of people do.
0: Just slow down. Um, yeah. Basically. Basically, just, just strive for slow down. So yeah.
1: so there's there's an effort level between world-class athlete pace. So I don't, and I know that better than I know age group pace. So the the pace between a half Ironman and an Ironman is like the dead zone for training, right? So you should basically never train there. Um, It's not hard enough for it to be considered hard and it's not easy enough for it to be considered easy. So you need to be going, you know, your, your, your Olympic distance pace so you can get in shape or you need to be going much slower than your Ironman pace, so you can be recovered and build up your maximum and, aerobic heart rate. And, and yeah. you know, and, or below. And yeah, I would say, I would say between five and 10% below your maximum aerobic heart rate. Ooh. Yeah. Andrew, but wait, <laughs> everyone's begging to add five beats to their maximum aerobic heart rate. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. So, but basically, that's where you should be training, right? So, um, doing an Ironman, um, you know, it's, it's not a a good idea. Um, but if it's what you want to do, um, and you are using me as a coach, I would encourage you to do a two hour race or less. Um, and I would try to make that seem more appealing because to be perfectly frank, going fast is way much more fun and way harder than going long and slow all day.
0: It's a, it's a greater accomplishment in in my opinion, in so many ways, because, if you can go out to Olympic distance race, or whatever it is, instead of an ultra, how about a 5K yeah. and, and break 20 minutes if you're 50 years old? Because- Break,
1: break the, X, it doesn't really matter how fast you go. It's a right. matter that you're on the limit. You pushed yourself on, as an athlete. On the limit. And yeah. in these short races, your internal dialogue is, can I go faster? Can which, I can I survive this pace? I mean, well, whatever, yeah, whatever, you're, whatever. You're, it you're, is. you're challenging your. When I'm yeah. doing when I'm doing races that are an hour or less, and if it's a triathlon, an hour left. If it's running, it's probably 10k or less, uh, which would be 40 minutes for me, I guess. Um, my question is, can I go faster? That's what's going on in my head. Certainly with a 5k, it's am I running as fast as I can? But you get in longer races, and that's not the question. You know, the question is, am I eating enough? You know, am I going at the right pace? Am I going too slow? Am I going too fast? And it's nowhere near as much fun as can I go faster? You know, I mean, we all buy, we all want fast things. Fast is way more fun. Fast downhills on the bike, way more fun. You know, even if they scare you, they're still more fun, you know? Um, so I don't know why people are so enamored with this super, super, super long stuff and doing an eight or nine or a 10 hour race and they put that up on a pedestal like that's some sort of great achievement. It's not that it's not <laughs> a great achievement. It's just that it's not as much fun as going fast.
0: Yeah. It- Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the the Schwenk Portable Infrared Grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K everything you cook faster juicier the speed is so important so convenient Uh, there's a drip tray on the bottom so you let the juices drip down i love the bison burger the venison burgers that's my game and then you can add a mixture of butter spices whatever you want into the tray pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K grills.com and up your home cooking game. This is a one of a kind grill. I have a great discount code for you. Of course, it's Brad 150 to save $150 off your purchase of a schwank grill. You know, you 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 endured something tremendous, yeah. and you finished. Yeah. My young friend Tyler Curley. Maybe I'll make him listen to this show, mm-hmm. so we'll have a little uptick in the in the ratings. But he just finished the Western States Hundred Mile Run. His father finished it uh, twenty plus years ago, and it was such an incredible emotional experience for the family and him mm-hmm. training hard for this thing. And to to say that you ran across the Sierra Nevada mountains in one day mm-hmm. is a phenomenal athletic accomplishment. It's so Indeed. difficult that you know. It, it kind of puts you in the same realm of like, can my body do this? Is this yeah. athletic challenge something that I can survive? And the, the, odd, the odds are against you because it's so difficult. The dropout rate's huge. But then when you get like uh, these mass participation marathons where they're running the New York City Marathon with 60,000 people, okay, that's cool. You get to tour around the city on foot and that's nice. But if I came up to one of the spectators and, and put a gun to their head at the starting line and said, Hey, you're going to do the marathon too. Guess what? Most people could finish it, yeah. but who cares? Because yeah. it's not a quality, it's not an yeah. athletic event so much as like, Hey, I survived. It's like saying you survived a tough plane ride with a lot of turbulence. So mm-hmm. what, yeah. uh, when we're getting, I mean, that, 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 sounding a little harsh to people, but I, that's why I wanted to put the plug in for something that's, you know, a, a goal that's super daunting and maybe a once-in-a-lifetime achievement of going, let's say, hundred miles. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of in-between here, where uh, the triathlon, the pro- triathlete's progression is to keep upping their distance as they get more experience, and therefore supposedly more legitimate if they can keep upping their distance. Rather so- than, why don't you go faster next year? Like you said to your hypothetical coach person, mm-hmm. let's go back and do this sprint triathlon and take ten minutes off your time.
1: So here, here's here's the the misconception is. In triathlon, you have the Olympic sport, and that's where all the best athletes are, all right? And I don't think you'll get too many arguments for that. And when they can't compete, then they go do oh. longer ones, okay? And I believe that that's pretty much fact. You won't get too many people arguing with that. So my, my, my thinking is, and as a 56-year-old person, I don't miss being able to do 100 miles because I can do that on my bike. I miss being able to ride at 30 miles an hour. I really miss that. Not so much that I'm going to buy an electric bike because that's not what it's about. It's about the feeling, right? Of doing it yourself, right?
0: Those electric bikes won't go 30 either. Sorry, pal. Well, <laughs> you're going to have <laughs>
1: they can do it with me, right? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I miss running sub five minute miles, the feeling. And I've never even run a sub four minute mile. I can't imagine what those guys feel like when they're out running seven or eight minute miles or nine minute miles and they used to run 355. It just must be... Catastrophic for them. I was, I was, I was daydreaming while I was running the other day, and I was like, "Gosh, maybe I'll try to run a fast mile." At you know, when I get to be sixty, and then I was thinking, then I'd be up against people like um, Steve Scott, and he's run like one hundred and ten under five minute, under four minute pace or something. And I am like, so maybe I shouldn't be thinking about how well I can do relative to anyone else, but I'd be curious to see what I could do at sixty. And then I was, then I was just thinking, it's like that would be really, really discouraging if I couldn't break six-minute miles or something. And then I was sort of doing the math, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I could break six-minute miles. Oh, I tried you know? recently, and yeah. I felt
0: like... Uh, I just was talking to Mark Allen about this because mm. he said his endurance <clears throat> right now is abysmal and depressing. Mm. Yeah, The greatest... Uh, arguably the greatest right. endurance athlete, greatest triathlete of all time, undisputed. And yeah. he's, what, near your age. Maybe, maybe he's hitting 60 closer. Um, and so I guess... You lose that something, yeah. that juice, and I think it's um, possibly akin to um, battery life where we blasted out so much effort in our younger days that there's just you know the brain and the central governor and all these mm-hmm. things just don't want to go out there and um, well, suffer think, to that extent.
1: I also think that the 60 year old body, whether you' whether you're burnt or not, just can't do what the 25 year old body can. Yeah, but there's a
0: podium yeah. guy at Iron Man. Right, let's mm-hmm. go look him up. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy from Florida who was uh, notorious because he got busted for doping. No offense, but he mm-hmm. was, you know, he was setting records at all the age groups in Hawaii, and he was into his sixties with the mm-hmm. six pack, and he was going at a very, very respectable time. And I question whether somebody like you, or I, or Mark Allen even has that much juice left to get into training. If someone paid you $10 million to try to break 9.15 at the Ironman, well, maybe you could do it because you were pretty fit when you were 50. And I'll use myself as an example, 25 years removed from anything impressive endurance related. Wow. It's just hard to imagine, just like you say. And a a six minute mile, as I tried recently, I felt like 4.47, Andrew. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. running hard on the bike trail, nice flat path. And then checking that watch, going, what the f? And, you know, it just yeah. it's it's mind boggling because I c- I could swear. Look, I'm up on my toes, I'm running strong, I feel pretty good, and then the then the clock says something otherwise. Yeah, the cl- yeah.
1: The clock moves a lot faster now. And uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Albert
0: Einstein proved that insight to be true. (laughs) It's all relative to the eyes of the observer. So I should call my effort a 447 because it felt like that. And that's all that matters.
1: I think that if no one was there, it was ever you, whatever you want it to be. Um, I also think that um, uh, as, as a percentage of your life, right? uh, Six minutes is uh, uh, way less of your life than 447 was 30 years ago. So you're actually running faster now.
0: <laughs> well, the other thing I feel like at this age and broadening my perspective of fitness from this extreme endurance experience that we had when we were younger is that fitness means many other things. So my, my quest has been uh, to broaden my uh, my strength, my power, my explosiveness and try to preserve this because I think that's especially more important to preserve over the next decade and over the decade after that mm-hmm. than the endurance. So, you know, if, if your endurance is respectable, Dr. James O'Keefe has talked about this and um, many other people, if you can hit this very low baseline of two and a half hours a week of very moderately paced cardiovascular exercise, you have an A plus in cardiovascular health and heart disease risk minimization, mm-hmm. just from brisk walking or a couple jogs, a couple few jogs a week and keeping active. Mm-hmm. And then as you exceed this two and a half hour, that's the threshold mentioned by Dr. O'Keefe, he has a great Ted talk called Run For Your Life, but not too far and at a slow pace. That's mm-hmm. the title of his Ted talk. If you, if you exceed that, you're going just for fitness and Andrew McNaughton says fitness and health have minimal crossover. Mm-hmm. Now, what about on the other side? we're gonna lose muscle mass, we're gonna gain spare tire as the decades go on, talking to, to males with that spare tire comment, but females are gonna be changing their hormonal and their body composition, losing the muscle mass, becoming more brittle, more at risk of accident, losing balance, all those things. So if those things you can bone, kind of focus on, too. you might get more return on investment for longevity and quality of life by slow, you know, shortening your workouts And throwing in some hard stuff and keeping that going as you age. It seems like a lot of people drop that as they age Mm -hmm. because they're slower, weaker, less fit. So it's kind of turning things upside down for me, anyway.
1: I think that um, uh, the theory that I agree with is that maintaining your muscle mass as you get older is really important. Maintaining good posture and all, you know, and muscle mass and staying strong, supporting your joints. You're less likely to get injured. Now, how you do that, is you know i guess it's up to you there's people who are excited about the high intensity training things which don't really work with my personality um i think weights are great but i think doing taking any risks with injury doing weights is not worth it but doing weights is good idea you know Uh, helps you maintain your muscle mass but you don't have to lift until failure yes scientifically When you're young, they say lifting till failure is the best way to grow your muscles. But, you know, now I'm 56, I'm trying not necessarily to grow my muscle, but I'm trying to limit the loss. And uh, I want to do it with the least, uh, with the lowest likelihood of injuring myself. So yeah, pushing stuff around a little bit and, but not super, super heavy. I don't want to hurt my back. I don't want to hurt any of my knees or my wrists or anything and, but I do want to work the muscles more than I more than I do jogging or climbing out of the saddle or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's, I think that that's important. You just have to weigh how important it is for you and what risks you want to take when you're doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess we should all just strive for a a checkbox of checking off the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Right. So if your diet get rid of grain sugars and especially refined industrial seed oils and just forget it and, and don't even talk about anything else until you you can, you can enter the room now and we can talk about all these other cool, interesting things, but not if you're out there mm-hmm. at Cheesecake Factory on the weekend and you're not reading labels carefully and you're, this shit is going into your body mm-hmm. uh, when, and you're talking out the other side of your mouth that you're, you're, you're doing keto now, or you're on yeah. the paleo. Mm-hmm. Well, you're also on the American plan to end up at the hospital. And then with, um with endurance, we've already stated that. If you can keep these, you know, low intensity cardiovascular exercise, not the stressful stuff thats that, that no man's land that you talked about between half Ironman and Ironman pace, or for someone else, someone who starts breathing hard on their walk up the hill, you gotta slow down and take care of that. And then I guess with the strength, power, explosiveness category, It's not that hard to hit the bare minimum. You don't have to risk injury. Mm -hmm. You can go into your cubicle right now, if you're listening to this podcast instead of working, and do a set of 20 deep squats. It's a fantastic explosive workout. It takes less than a minute. And jump. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Dr. Oz's writing Mm -hmm. partner, uh, uh, Dr. Ozine from Cleveland Clinic. He says, jump up and down Mm -hmm. 20 times a day. Mm And you will preserve your bone density and dramatically decrease your risk of uh the the breakdown and the the joint injuries that lead to be um lead to uh, mortality worse than anything else
1: i like i like those uh i go do i do squats to just about 90 degrees on my knee and then i jump i make sure i come off the ground completely come off the ground And, and i have about a four inch vertical um so I do, let's say, half of that. So That's pretty about, good for an ex-triathlete. And it's, it's uh, yeah, so it's not 100%. It, it, not It's not everything I can do, but um, I find that I do 20 and I get to about 16 and I feel it in my legs. And then I do a few more and then I'm like, all right, that's enough, you know? But uh, yeah, getting off the ground instead of just going up and down, but pushing off hard enough where you can actually lift off the ground is, first of all, it's fun because you feel like you're a kid playing again. And uh, it serves you know, other purposes as well. So it's uh, something that I would recommend.
0: And I wonder, it does sound fun. It's not time consuming, uh, but I'm observing just in general life, there's a difficulty with compliance with our close associates, friends, coworkers, peers, loved ones, uh, general people in the community. There seems to be just an inability to even achieve these bare minimum basics like cutting the crap out of your diet or doing some uh, jumping up and down I mean r- raise your hand if you know people and <laughs> that you've seen in their homes or at their at their cubicle doing deep squats or jumping up and down it's when like I, we're we're getting drawn into the screens or something
1: I just where... want you to know that you people listening we can see you so if we raise you're raising your hand we're looking.
0: Yeah, my mom said (laughs) that her friends are now taping up their uh, little camera hole on the laptop, Mm -hmm. and I don't know enough to comment that this sounds ridiculous. But it's very common practice, right? Everyone's Mm -hmm. telling you tape up this thing because they're going to watch you. And she said her friends started doing it because they were on a walk in the park. Oh no, no, they were sitting at the kitchen table talking about maybe going to Vegas, Mm -hmm. and then the the friend was logging on to the computer and seeing some Vegas ads. And so she contended that they were listening to the conversation, eavesdropping the the powers that be in Vegas. And I'm like, you know, I probably think that along with the conversation, they might've done some search work uh, mm-hmm. at some point and typed in Vegas yeah. into their search bar. And then of course you get bombarded with the yeah. specific. I kind of like yeah. that stuff. I have no problem with people targeting ads to what I'm interested in. I, I don't, I don't mind about losing my privacy.
1: The NSA is certainly listening, but probably not to you and I, because right. we're, they don't care. we're not red flagged. <laughs> they didn't listen for the first
0: seven minutes and they're like, Oh, these guys again. All right. These let's guys. go on to something more.
1: Yeah. We didn't mention, we didn't mention any bad words yet. So yeah. They're, they they've given up on us the thing with the jumping is is um if you set your rule up where you can't have your shower in the morning until you've done 45 seconds of mm. jumping off the ground that's all it takes mm. 45, so, 45 yeah. seconds i was going to ask you for and, some tips and there you jump yeah and you jump and you do it and unless you're in an apartment building in a big city and it bugs the people downstairs um it's a fine thing to do you know and if, and if you are in an apartment building, get one of those rubber mats and it'll absorb some of the noise.
0: <laughs> Go out to the stairwell. Yeah. yeah. Go up and or, down some stairs. Or
1: jump on jump on the bed. You can be six again.
0: So do you, uh, even to this day, uh, use the incentives in real life to, to keep you um, committed, focused? Um, what things have gone into the category of just effortless and what things do you still have to uh, kind of make yourself carry out
1: oh gosh i don't think i do anything there's no effort at all it's, it's all want to it's one of the things when i stopped being competitive you know 30 years ago now or what is how long was it yeah 28 28 Whew. years ago 26 years ago um okay. more than that yeah, hold on a sec 90 it's 93 so 26 years yeah so um yeah. yeah, I refuse to say I have to do any exercise anymore. It was one of my, the, th- the other thing I refused was to travel through the airport with a bike. Um, and uh, I have friends that say, why do you come and do this? We can do, you know, do the, do the uh, ride, the tour, the climbs of the tour in France the week before the van. It's like that would involve traveling with a bike. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. That's
0: You're crazy. still traumatized by arriving in Nice, France for your first oh. international race. And the, the little door, on the, on the carousel uh, was, was clogged up. And we were just watching somebody from behind the, the curtain pushing, pushing, pushing. And then finally your bike case pops out in a different shape than before it entered the, the door that was too small for it. That was a tough day for you, man. Was I, I'm sorry.
1: Beautiful carbon Vetus frame that was all totally mangled. Just pretzled. Still breaks my heart. Yeah. It still breaks my heart. Yeah. Because I did a, a bike race earlier in that year in Mammoth, a three-day stage race. And I didn't use my good bike because I wanted to save it for races that were important, like triathlon. And that bike had like four races on it. And, uh, I could have used it in the mammoth race because the bike that I did use broke twice. So, yeah.
0: So no more, no more traveling with a bike. Uh, but the,
1: however, my friend Kyle, who did it this year, he said, I didn't bring my bike. He did the, he did the trek tour. And you just tell just them what, Tell them what your frame size is, and they give you a bike. It's part of the tour, so you don't have to travel. That's with a, a bike. good idea. Event so, promoters out there, yeah. And he was uh, he was really you know trying to get trying to get with me to go with him. So maybe maybe next year, now that I you can actually do these without traveling with a bike, maybe it would fit into my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, amidst all your humorous anecdotes, you I think you said something that um, could be a profound insight that would help people. Uh, stay aligned with their uh, goals and dreams. And to to change from the category of have to, to want to, I think is a really powerful statement. Uh, No more so apparent than in the world of diet. And I see this negative uh, thinking and negative... Uh, uh, talking about so many, dietary goals. There's so and many
1: people who take a negative approach to these things. Right. I have to do this. It's going to be a huge sacrifice. And and training is painful and and really hard. And it's like, when I talk to people, it's like, no, these are all choices. You could be out at the bar with your friend instead of at the swimming pool. And I said, swimming swimming isn't really painful. Running really isn't painful. It's fun and it's playful. And it's and it's sort of a self-experiment on on the, the body's feedback you know there really is no pain you know you stub your toe and break your baby toe that hurts all right doing a track workout it doesn't hurt it really doesn't hurt you know it's it's playful it's fun you're 100 in control you know
0: okay i'm gonna i'm gonna challenge that for a second because i just came back from my USA Professional Speed Golf Championships in Houston. And I've been doing all these podcasts on mm-hmm. positive thinking and the power of belief. My, my favorite new author, Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief, where you you manifest your thoughts become your reality at a cellular level. So mm-hmm. if you think, I'm not hot right now, I'm okay, or I'm going to live to be 123, better example, mm-hmm. that's my firm belief, and I'm going to live the rest of my life with that number in mind mm-hmm. and that type of journey in mind. And and own it in every way, and it has a lot of a tremendous amount of power. But I got overheated on the golf course. So I had to walk on the back nine, and I've never once uh, moved from a jog to a walk in speed golf. And when that moment came, I was trying to talk myself out of it, saying, "Be strong, man. Mia Moore never complains." And 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 my son was just talking about playing uh, soccer in the Amazon with his guides when he went on the river trip, and he said he was so hot he thought it was going to blow up. And I'm like, "Just keep going, keep going." But I succumbed to the heat, I have to admit. So it, it was more powerful than my my thoughts and beliefs. So
1: so my thinking, um, on, my thinking, tell on there, me about that. Dehydration is tough because <laughs> there's, there's two things that affect you when you're doing uh, exercise for a long time. One is dehydration. And I find dehydration gives you a bad attitude. So if you're in a position where you hate everybody that you're with and you're swearing and you wish you weren't, you know, running or cycling or whatever it is that you're doing, hiking in the mountains, um, I would say that there's a really good chance that you're dehydrated. So I would say that do, u- using your mind that's already compromised because of lack of water in your system to overcome dehydration um, is probably going to lead to more problems than, than, than less problems. The other thing that happens is you get glycogen deficient, and that's when you, you stop caring and it's hard to concentrate and you sort of daydream and you're in the middle of the race and you're like, Oh, what was I thinking about? Yeah. You You mean low blood sugar, glycogen depleted, low blood sugar. So your brain stops working well. Yeah. So it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to focus. If you're competing, your, your pace slacks off because you're daydreaming about something else and gosh, I'm hungry. Oh, that really smells good. I wonder what they're eating. And next thing you know, you're going substantially slower. So those are the, those are the two biggest telltale signs that I've learned
0: what about the third one of, uh, overheated body temperature? Cause I think that's that's dehydration too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I was, I, I guess I was a little dehydrated, so, but when so, your body temperature yeah. goes up.
1: So there's two <sighs> things, there's two things that you need to do when it is, you know, 95 degrees and super humid, like it was for you in this race. Um, you have to know that you have to go that fraction of a percent slower to help your body manage its core temperature. All right. And it's really not much slower is all you have to do is bring it down. So it's, it's 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 just it's it's tiny it's not one percent slower but it's 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 less than that but it's just a little bit slower and then your body can manage the effort with maintaining a decent core temperature but um, you get it hot and humid and even if you're used to the hot being hot and humid or the temperature being hot and humid even if you're acclimatized for that um, if you go that little bit too hard your body can't deal with it and so one of the first things you do is you you say, okay, look, it's going to be hot and humid. And this is the mistake people make in, in Hawaii or wherever they're, if they're racing in some hot place, Mexico, Brazil, whatever, is they maintain their uh, typical watts on the bike or their typical run pace per mile as opposed to um, more of a perceived effort or something like that. You know, So if it's a little hotter, you have to just go a little slower because it's not just about, um uh your what what you learned in training your watt output could be but it's also managing your core temperature and just a touch a touch slower and everything's fine and it feels easy as opposed to getting over overheated
0: or a, a shitload slower if you went out too hard and well, got overheated yeah then so you end up
1: going a lot slower yeah
0: arguably my uh, initial 20 minutes in the extreme heat mm-hmm. was way too much even though it was uh slower than my usual pace you just didn't adjust well enough yeah and i think it's hard to bring it back when you certainly it's extremely hard to bring it back when you're dehydrated it's known to take up to 72 hours to fully rehydrate if you get if you get deficient
1: yeah so anyway that's 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 the lesson that i've learned is uh when it's super hot you just have to go that tiny little bit slower and then it feels easy and if it's really hot like that it's got to feel easy um because otherwise it just hits you all of a sudden and you're you're pretty much then you're walk jogging the rest of the way as as you found out <laughs> yeah.
0: so the the we were discussing the notion that these things are not really hard and shouldn't be feeling Mm -hmm. like they're suffering or a sacrifice Mm -hmm. to go wake Mm -hmm. up early for swim. Mm -hmm. You want to put them all into the want to category. Definitely. Will you share the comment you made about the pizza too? Was that your extended family member or someone at a dinner where they said uh, they were thinking of uh, modifying their diet or you were trying to talk them into something and they said it's too much of a sacrifice to give up pizza.
1: That's right. So I was, Talking to someone and they uh, and they they believe that it was too much of a sacrifice to give up pizza. So my question to them was, all right, if your doctor told you that the next time you ate pizza you would die, would you give it up? And they're saying, well, that's not what's going to happen. I'm like, well, just answer the question. And of course, the question, the answer is yes. Of course, I would give it up if I was going to die. It's like, all right, how about if they said it would slowly make you sick over a 25 year period and your life would be crap? you get well that's not what's going to happen but just answer the question you know and the answer is yeah but how could you possibly know that no just answer the question it's a yes or no answer and they're like well i guess if i knew for sure that it was going to okay all right so basically you do know for sure that's what's going to happen you know and if you don't have a problem with wheat which a lot of people don't and if you don't have a problem with with uh, dairy, with a lot which a lot of people don't, then it's probably not as big a deal as if you are someone who does have those problems, which a lot of people do have those problems, one or both. So these things, you need to look at the other side. What are you sacrificing by doing these things that you believe are too great of a sacrifice to give up? You need to look at it the other way. You are truly sacrificing um, health, energy, joie de vivre, um, uh, sleep, work efficiency, uh, relationship with your family, your kids, your wife, um, your friends uh, those are the sacrifices you're making by not being as healthy as you can be so uh, it's it's this same equation but seeing it differently you know and that's
0: what people struggle with yeah so now um, I just checked 99.0 seven percent of the listeners turned off are nodding their head in agreement <laughs> oh. right we, we all accept this yeah. Yeah. that this this pain and suffering that we're heading toward that you're, per- we, that
1: you're pretending is pain and suffering
0: it's it's um i guess the instant gratification the pull is is too powerful to turn away and i think a lot of it is um marketing forces cultural forces um, it's so commonplace that we lock into these habit patterns um, and we don't even realize how, you know, how, mm-hmm. how we're setting ourselves up for pain and suffering and declining quality of life just by being everyday American and going to, uh, the kid's birthday party and having a slice of cake and a, a little scoop of ice cream on top of that. And it's no big deal. Uh, but then if you times it by a thousand, it, it is a big deal. And, um, that, that one's, that one's hard to, um, it, it's a. It's a disturbing notion that's hard to shake, that, that we don't know what we're doing to ourselves because we're, because we're blinded by commonplace and because it's slow.
1: It's, it's slow. It's over time. People say, man, at 40, all of a sudden I couldn't do this. And the answer is, well, you really shouldn't have been doing it since you were 15, but it took you 25 years to screw your body up so much that now you're noticing symptoms. Okay.
0: Yeah, right. That's no joke with so many things, especially yeah. um, accumulation accumulation of excess body fat and things like that, that your your insulin system gets worn out over time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's that's the thing is is like I, you know, I had I used to love this food and now I, I get a rash whenever I have it. And it's like, well, your body never liked it. You just weren't listening. You didn't pay attention to the symptoms you were getting, so your body just kept increasing those symptoms and basically kicking you in the shin until you Paid attention to what it was trying to tell you, you know? Yeah. Body's giving you constant feedback.
0: Yeah. And we're calling it aging in many cases, but it's not really, it's not the, it's not the accumulation of chronological years. No. It's just the wearing out of a healthy It's accumulation system. of abuse. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: Anyway. So you need to look at the equation differently. What are you sacrificing by doing this as opposed to what are you sacrificing by not doing this? That's what you need to look at. And uh, or you know or not, you know whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like the uh, the motorcycle rider doesn't want to wear a helmet because they love the feeling of yeah. wind going through their hair, but then I'm paying their insurance policy. So yeah. for all of us to ignore that, oh, yeah, we're, but we're, someone yeah. else
1: is getting their organs, so it works out okay.
0: <laughs> I was looking for a finish to the show because we've given you guys so much to think about. And I know hitting you kind of hard with some uh, with some admonitions here at the end, but how can you top that?
1: Uh, yeah, I yeah.
0: congratulations no. for being an organ donor. Enjoy your motorcycle.
1: I think that if I was 25 years younger, I'd say mic drop. <laughs>
0: and get over themselves because they need to, thanks for doing it.